0: Hey podcast listeners, thank you for listening and subscribing to the Collective Church podcast. For church this week, we did something a little different and we held an event called the grocery store buyout. You can check out how that went on our social media accounts later this week if you search for my Collective Church. For this week's podcast, we're uploading a sermon from last summer that we originally believed was lost. We hope you enjoy the podcast from our Roots series as we talked about how the first church in the book of Acts was designed to grow. We hope you enjoy it. What if I told you that you only had 30 years left to live? Barry, what if I told you that you only had 30 years to live total? So for those of you who are older than 30, like myself, you are on borrowed time right now. How would that change how you approach life? How would that change how you approach family? How would that change how you approach your money or your career? Would you add more hours to your work week and miss more family dinners? Would you save up more money so you could die with the largest bank account possible? Would you stop hanging out with your friends and isolate yourself? Would you spend more time binging on Netflix? Most of us would say no to that. If you only had 30 years left, you'd spend more time with the people that you love. You'd be more generous. You would try to do your best to spend or give away every dollar that you had. You would take more risks. You would start the company that you always secretly dreamt of. You would jump out of the plane. You would ask the girl out that you were too afraid to talk to. If you only had 30 years left to live, you would do everything you could to live your best life, to live life to the fullest, to have the most fun, to make the biggest impact that you could make. Now, what if I told you Collective only had 30 years left? Well, actually, 29 years in five weeks. How would that change how this church does ministry? How would that change how we spent our budget? How would that change what we preached on? How would that change our urgency? And how would that shape our culture? Today, we're closing out our series called Roots, where we've been focusing on the first church as seen in the book of Acts. Because if you're gonna figure out how to do church well, there's no better place to look than the church that started it all. The church that was a catalyst for churches like us to exist today. And so we've been specifically looking in Acts 2, which is just a few weeks after Jesus died and resurrected from the dead. And during this time, the church, the amount of people that were following Jesus was around 120 people. 120 people. That's less than what's in this room right now. And this group included people who spent time with Jesus, people who believed that he was the Son of God, but it also included people who were skeptical but were looking for hope and was hoping that maybe Jesus was that answer. And so in Acts 2, there's a catalytic moment where a large crowd is gathered in Jerusalem, and so Peter preaches the gospel to them. Peter tells them that there is a God who loves them so much that he sent his son to die so they could live. Upon hearing this, thousands of people start to follow Jesus. They repent. They turn away from their life, and they're baptized. They're immersed in water. And out of this moment, the church began. And so that is the starting point. And so Acts 2, 42 through 47, which we've been reading over and over in the last few weeks, that describes what the church did. So they have this moment where the church begins, and so how did they function? Acts 2, 42 through 47 explains, and this is what it says. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So through this, we we learn that the first church prayed together. They took communion. They ate meals together. They praised God. They met the needs of their community. They celebrated what God was doing. And the result of that was that the church grew The last verse, Acts 2.47 says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Not just by one person here or there. It grew daily and in masses. The first church was a growing church. Every once in a while, I'm given the opportunity to teach other church planners about church planning. And I'm by no means an expert on church planning. I feel like most Sundays I'm just kind of winging it. Uh, And I'm not really sure why people ask me to teach on this topic, but they do, so I say yes. Partly because I like telling horror stories about church planning in order to scare pastors. But mostly because my hope is that they plant churches that truly make a difference. My hope is that people will plant more churches that we're not embarrassed of, more churches that we're proud of. And so the topic that I'm always asked to teach on is growth. And specifically, people want to know how do you grow a team before the church starts? And so, what I do is, I take these church planners and I have them read Acts 2, 42 through 47. And I have a whiteboard and I always make them make a list of the things that the early church did together. And every time I've done this, they'll point out that the church prayed, they worshiped, they took communion, they met the needs of their community. But every time I've taught this lef- lesson, the planners miss one thing they always miss the fact that in order for a church to grow, non Christians and unbelievers and doubters and skeptics have to be present. In order for the Lord to add to their number daily those who were being saved, people who were far from God had to be a part of that church community. This means that the church was never intended to be just for people who say they had faith in God. The early church wasn't just for church people. You see, the church in Acts was a healthy church, and because it was healthy, it grew. It was also a church that was for people who didn't believe, It wasn't just for those who saw Jesus resurrect. The church was for people who needed hope. The church was for people who needed community. The church was for the sinner and the skeptic and the broken and the religious zealots. And this church that we read in Acts 2 was so attractive. This church was so captivating. This church was so loving and so active in their community that it was irresistible. Think about that idea for a second a church that looks so much like Jesus that people can't help but want to be a part of it and change their lives. A church that is so irresistible that people can't help but share it with their friends and their neighbors and their community. A church that even the most skeptical person would want to check out because they could see that marriages were healthier, relationships were stronger, communities' needs were being met. It was a church for people who hated Jesus. People who spoke out against him and tried to destroy him, and yet they still began to follow him, because the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. But it didn't just stop there. Throughout the entire book of Acts, the church didn't stop growing and didn't stop being that irresistible church, and it didn't stop growing both spiritually and numerically. Acts 4.4 says, but many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Acts five fourteen. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Acts six seven. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Acts nine thirty one. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Acts eleven twenty one. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Acts 16.5, so the churches were strengthened in in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Acts 17.12, as a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. The church grew. It didn't just stay in Jerusalem. It spread throughout Asia and Europe and Africa, and within a few hundred years of the death, burial, and resurrection, Christianity had spread throughout the the area and eclipsed the Roman Empire. Now imagine if those 120 people decided that the gospel wasn't to be shared. Imagine if those 120 people decided that grace was just for them. Imagine if those 120 people decided that forgiveness was a secret to be kept. Imagine if those 120 people decided that eternity with God wasn't for everyone. So instead, they just hold on to the message that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to earth and lived a perfect life, dying on a cross to pay the debt that our sin creates with God. And then three days later, he resurrected to prove that all the promises he made were true. And through him, we could spend eternity with God. What if those 120 people thought that message was only for them or for Jerusalem? How different would the church look today? How different would your life look today? Jesus said in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That was his goal. He came so that all people who are far from God could experience eternity with God. That's what Jesus wanted. And before he left, that was the message that he told his followers to champion. That's what he wanted his church to do. In Matthew 28, starting verse 19, it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." And Jesus is telling his disciples, this is on you now. That your job is to seek and save the lost. That grace and truth are for all nations, not just you. He tells them you're to teach as many people as possible about who I am and what I taught. You're to baptize them and don't worry, I'm with you. When my wife and I moved to Maryland, I started working for a church in Glen Burnie. And during that time, right across the street from the church building, a new restaurant popped up. It was called Mission Barbecue. Round of applause. You've been to Mission Barbecue before? Okay, that's more than I thought. That's good. Shortly after it opened, my coworkers and I decided that we'd walk over to check it out, and that was a moment that changed my life forever. I love barbecue. I lived in Tennessee for six years. But you know, barbecue can be hit or miss, and this place is a hit. I think it's what heaven would taste like if it was pork covered in barbecue sauce. They're pulled pork, they're turkey, they're ribs, or brisket, it's all amazing. They have the best fries and mac and cheese I think I've ever tasted in my life outside of what my wife makes, but they also have an Old Bay barbecue sauce. It's incredible, it would change your life. If you haven't been, go, there's one in Hagerstown. I actually send them monthly emails in hopes of them starting one in Frederick. They've said no so far, and I'm absolutely not kidding about that, but when we lived in Glen Burnie, this restaurant opened, and for the next few months, I think I went to Mission Barbecue at least twice a week. There were even weeks when I walked in for, for lunch and for dinner. They knew me by name. They knew my wife by name. They knew our friends. I love Mission Barbecue. It's one of my top two favorite restaurants of all time. About six months into the first Mission Barbecue store being opened, things were going really well, and there were rumors that they were going to open up another store in Maryland. And when word began to spread, people were enraged, vowing to never go back all because of the prospect of other stores opening up. We actually knew people that stopped going to the restaurant because they wanted it to be a Glen Burnie thing. They didn't care if anyone else ever tasted the deliciousness that is their french fries with the Alabama white sauce. Try it, you won't regret it. But it was insane. People who loved the restaurant and they were adamantly uh, like, kind of evangelizing this restaurant would tell everybody this is the best restaurant in Glen Burnie, as soon as they mentioned that they were gonna open up another store, they began to oppose the restaurant's growth. We heard people say that Mission Barbecue was their restaurant. We heard people complain about how the customer service would falter if they opened a new store, that their food quality would go down and their prices would go up. People started saying that the new stores would take all the best employees and replace them with people who just didn't care as much as the original group. People even started to talk about the owner, whose name is Bill, saying that he was greedy and only thinking about himself. And for me, as someone who loves Mission Barbecue, it was ridiculous that people truly didn't want this restaurant to grow. They didn't want other people to experience this restaurant. They actually wanted other people to have to drive all the way out to Glen Burnie if they wanted to try it and none of us have reasons to drive out to Glen Burnie. <laughs> it's insane, but this is exactly the same way that we act when we think about the church and growth. I've heard people say that they didn't want their church to grow because new people might come and take their seats. I've heard people say they didn't want their church to grow because it would lose that small community feel. I've heard people say they didn't want their church to grow because they didn't wanna have to park further away or set up more chairs or meet new people because they already know enough people. Through the story of Acts and through the first church, we see that growth is good, especially in the church. It's biblical. Growth is an indication of health. The early church was healthy. It was supposed to grow. They wanted it to grow. Jesus told them to make it grow. And so that's exactly what they did. And they did it with urgency because they wanted to seek and save lost people. You see, the early church believed that Jesus would return at any moment. They truly believed that their time was limited. In a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, Paul is talking about Jesus coming back to earth. Jesus said that one day he'd come back. He also said no one knows the date or time. But Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4 17, he says this, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Paul writes, we who are still alive. Meaning at that point of Paul's life, he really thought that Jesus would come back probably in the next 10, 15, 20 years. He thought he would see Jesus before he died. And that's how most people felt in the early church. That's why they had urgency. The church grew because there was urgency, because they believed they only had a small window. And this was because they truly believed that Jesus was gonna return at some point during their lifetime. And so their desire was never that the church become institutionalized. They didn't want the church to become a corporation. Their desire was that as many people as possible would be with them in in heaven for all eternity. And so their goal was to make the biggest impact possible in the shortest amount of time. And thankfully, they did. About two years ago, I was in a church planning cohort with seven other future church planners. And the goal was to learn as much as we could and work through a lot of the details of planning a church before we ever planted. So we had about a year and a half of figuring out how to do this and do it the best that we could. And one afternoon, we had a guest speaker come in whose name is Todd Wilson. And I didn't know much about Todd. Uh, I knew that Todd started following Jesus at the church that my family also started following Jesus at. I also knew he looked like George Costanza. He's the one on the left, right? (laughs) Like 10 years ago, he is George Costanza. But I also knew that Todd Wilson was a genius. Todd was a nuclear engineer for the Navy for about 20 years. He's often credited for writing the manual for new Navy submarines. But at some point in his life, Todd was invited to church and started following Jesus. And this led him to leave the Navy and get into church planting. Todd now leads a massive church planting conference and is constantly pushing church planners to think bigger and better. And so on this particular afternoon, Todd taught us about something that's called the Sunset Clause. And the Sunset Clause is basically this. It's a clause that puts an end date on something that you don't want to last forever. This actually came from Roman times because when they legislated laws, they would set a law and they would put a time limit on it when it would expire. And they'd have to go back and reevaluate that law and decide, do we do this again or do we change it? In the last few years, sunset clauses have become a regular part of nonprofits and philanthropy. And here's why. The average business is only effective for 30 years. Peter Drucker, who is the father of modern management, found that organizations typically have a lifespan of 30 years effectiveness. In Drucker's book, Management, this is what he said. He said, the number of years has been shrinking during which an employing institution can expect to stay successful. This period was never very long. Historically, very few businesses were successful for as long as 30 years in a row. To be sure, not all businesses cease to exist when they cease to do well. What he's saying there is some businesses last a really long time. That doesn't mean they're good at what they do. And he continues to but the ones that survive beyond 30 years usually entered into a long period of stagnation. And only rarely do they turn around again and once more become successful growth businesses. Drucker said, Drucker said there are exceptions to the rules, right? We're all thinking about it. It's Coca-Cola. It's McDonald's. But those companies are rare and make up 0.1% of organizations that exist. So because of this, business owners and philanthropists have started saying that they wanted to make the biggest impact possible in the shortest amount of time, that they have no interest in creating an organization that will become their legacy long after they die. And the reason why they say this is because most organizations have a maximum 30 years of being fruitful, 30 years of being effective. And so these people are saying, let's use up all of our resources we have and use it up within 30 years so we can make the biggest impact because they don't want their legacy to be in organizations that become ineffective. While Todd was teaching us about the sunset clause and businesses only lasting 30 years, we were struggling to make the connection to the church. But because Todd's so smart, we were kind of afraid to ask the question of why does this even matter? And that's when Todd asked us, do you know how long the average church stays effective? For us, it kind of felt like a trick question. We're talking the church, 2,000 years, it's been around, it's done a really good job. Are you talking about little entities that are the church, a church like Collective. That's when Todd told us that the average church is only effective for 30 years. After Peter Drucker put out his book, Management, a guy named David Olson set out to learn the average lifespan of the church. He wrote all about it in a book called The American Church in Crisis. Olson collected data from 200,000 mainline Protestant churches. And through his data, he found that at 30 years old, churches stop growing and become stagnant. Then at 40 years old, they start declining. David Olson also found out that the growth rate of churches is highest in their early years. That the average church will actually grow 30% their first year, 29% their second, 28% their third, all the way down to where they hit year 30, where their growth percent is zero, And so Todd finished his teaching that day by saying that the church as we know it is dying and only 6% of the churches in America are actually growing at a rate that keeps up with population and that 94% of the churches in America are stagnant and dying. And of course, there are exceptions to the rules, but it's rare. Even the churches that we're reading about in the book of Acts don't exist anymore Yes, they grew. Yes, they made an impact. But eventually, they ceased to exist. Even these great churches that we mirror ourselves after and learn after don't exist anymore. And someday, that will be true for collective. That's just the way things go. That's the cycle of the church. So if Drucker and Olson are right, and 99% of the churches that exist in America stop growing by year 30... The question that we have to wrestle with as a church is how do we make the biggest impact in the shortest amount of time? How can we take advantage of the best years of our church, which are the first years? Because honestly, guys, we're not the Coca-Cola of churches. I would love to naively lead this church as if collective is in that 0.1%, but we can't ignore the truth. We can't ignore what data says. We can't ignore the fact that we will be lucky to have 30 years of effectiveness as a church. So we have to do everything that we can as a church to make the biggest impact possible right now, not for our own ego, not so that we can be the biggest church around, but so that we don't end up being the church that stops being effective, that stops reaching lost people, that stops making an impact on the community, but continues to hold church services so we can take up an offering to keep the lights on in a building. We don't wanna be that church that's too proud to close the doors and say, we had a good run. And so the question that I've wrestled with for years and the thing that I think about all the time with Collective is, what if we put in a sunset clause for Collective? I know for me, the first thing that we would do is we create more space for people to be a part of this church. If we only had 29 years and five weeks left, I'd wanna get more people in this school on Sundays morning so they can experience the grace and truth of Jesus. So that those people can experience hope. So they can experience life to the fullest. So they can experience forgiveness. So that's what we're gonna do. I told you last week we had a big announcement, so here it is. Starting October 14th, we are adding an additional service to Collective on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. And this is a big deal. And so here's the thing. In October, we'll start having services at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. because we're going to do everything that we can to create space for more people to bump into Jesus right now. Right now. Because if we're being honest with ourselves, we are running out of time. And when we knew when we started Collective uh, here at West Frederick, that the max we could have in one service is around 215 people. That's what it feels like today. That'll be about what we have today. This is kind of our max. Because we know at 215 people, Collective Kids is almost at capacity. There's probably 45 kids back there right now. (laughs) They're doing a great job. We know at 215, the parking lot begins to get full. And especially now with the high school being over here and the buses being back there, some of you probably had a long walk this morning. We know that the lobby gets crowded. We love having people in the lobby, but we love connecting with you more. And we don't want more people to take up spots where we get to get to know you. And so if I'm being honest, I actually told our team and our leaders at the beginning of this summer, I said, if we grow through summer, we're gonna add a second service because I firmly believe that we would not grow as a church. Churches don't grow in the summer. That's just not what happens. But through the summer, you all have shown up You've invited your friends. and You've continued to make this church and this community a priority. And because of that, we're going to add a second service. Because even as the first church continued to grow and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, they continued to create space for people who were far from God. They continued to seek and save lost people. They continued to be a safe place for people who have questions about God and faith to show up and not be judged for it. The church never became about church people. And so we wanna mirror that. And trust me, this isn't going to be easy. We've asked every person that's on the team and serves here at Collective to start showing up at 6 so that we can set up this space for a 9 a.m. service. They're gonna love it in the summer and fall, but as soon as the time change comes, they're not gonna like it anymore. But the reason why we're doing that is because is, the reason why we're doing that is not because I wanna preach two sermons. I don't. <laughs> It's not because the band wants to play two sets. It's because we're not the Coca-Cola of churches. And so we're gonna take every risk we can. We will give every resource we have. We will do everything we can so that more and more people in Frederick can experience how good Jesus is, no matter how hard it is, because we want to make the biggest impact possible. And we want this church to grow and be in the 6% of churches that are truly making a difference for the 30 years that they exist. Now I know that some of you have been a part of churches in the past that as they grew, they changed. I've been a part of those churches as well. They stopped being the church that you loved and became a big mass of superficial Christianity. But the reason why that happened was because those churches were focused on growth for growth's sake, and they didn't care if it was Christians from other churches, they just wanted their numbers to rise but that's why we use the early church as our example, because growth wasn't about collecting as many Christian people as possible. Growth came because the church was irresistible. The church was captivating, the church was loving, the church was active in their community, and that's the type of church that we strive to be, and nothing's gonna change that. So here's my promise to you, if you're nervous. Collective will always be the broken, messy, authentic church that you see today. Our hope is this, that it gets more messy and more broken and more authentic. No matter how many people come in these doors, no matter what year we are in as a church, our DNA as a church won't change because our goal isn't to attract more people to collective. Our goal is to impact more people. And so even with two services, we will continue to be collective. We'll continue to be the church for the rest of us. We'll continue to be the same group of misfits. We're not gonna change. The only difference is now there's more space for your friends, and for your family, and for your neighbors. And so we're gonna add a second service with the hope that God continues to grow this church so we can make the biggest impact possible. We're gonna to continue to give away 10% of our offering to local and global missions. We're gonna to continue to invest in other church plants because we know that we can't do this alone. It'd be arrogant for us to think that Collective is the only church that can be successful for 30 years, right? So we're gonna plant more churches. And we're going to give everything we have to make the biggest impact possible over the next 30 years. If you're here today and you're wrestling with that and you're wondering, what does it mean to be a part of that? I've got two things. The first is this. We'd love for you to join with us. We'd love for you to join the team. The team is a group of people who serve on Sundays that make this church special. This church is not special because of me. Most of you have met me. You would agree with that. This church is special for the people who show up on Sunday mornings and create space for you to be in community and for you to experience Jesus in the real way that you always longed for. And so we're asking people to step up and serve in serving collective kids and make an impact that actually could last generations. Because if we're being honest, this church won't, but faith for those children will. Serve on connections and help us make this church welcoming. Serve on production so that we can have an excellent, excellent worship experience. And if you're one of those people that you're interested in learning more about that, check it off on your connection card or go out to the lobby and talk to one of us. Talk to somebody who's going to do it. And the second thing is this, invite. We should never look at collective the way that people in Glen Burnie looked at Mission Barbecue. This church should never be the best kept secret in Frederick. Rather, if you believe in this church. Now, if you're new and you're skeptical and you're wondering about this church, just keep showing back up. I promise you'll fall in love with these people. But if you believe in the vision of this church, if you believe that this church can be a life-changing church, you should want nothing more for the people in your life to experience the same place and the same grace and truth that you experience here. And so we have 29 years and five weeks to change this city, to change this county, to change the state of Maryland forever. And so I say, let's do it. Let's put in a sunset clause and do everything we can to make the biggest impact possible in the shortest amount of time. Let's not get to the end of those 30 years and look ineffectiveness in the eye and wonder, can we dig our ways out of it Instead, let's just go all out right now. And really, let's be like the first church. Let's have urgency and continue to love our community and continue to serve and continue to be an irresistible, captivating church that people can't help but wanna show up on Sundays because they're trying to figure out if this Jesus thing is real. So as of a year ago, we put in a sunset clause, (laughs) surprise. Um, Our first birthday comes in five weeks. And so we're gonna do everything we can over the next 25 years and five weeks to be the best church that we can and make the biggest impact we can because we're not Coca-Cola, we're collective. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we have an example of a church that really pushes us. God, if we're being honest, the idea of having 30 years left as a church or the idea of even growing and inviting people can make us feel uncomfortable. But God, we know that's what you called us to do. God, we know you called us to always keep in mind people who are far from you and continue to create space for them. So God, I pray that we can continue to be that church. God, that as we grow and as we add two services, that we don't end up being a church for church people. God, ultimately that we grow and we continue to be a church that seeks and saves the lost and is a safe place for people to experience who you are. God, help us be that church. God, as we look at the next 29 years and five weeks, I pray that we can be the most effective church possible. That at the end of those 30 years, if collective does close, we can look back and say, we did our best, we tried our hardest, and ultimately we made the biggest impact that we could with what we had. God, help us be that church. Help us look like the church in Acts and make an impact that lasts forever, even if we don't. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.